Um, before we started uh, our worship service, I found a very, very powerful message in the pew. And it was a candy heart. And um, no, I'm not going to eat it because I think it's been there probably all week. But it says, it's, I, don't, this, I don't know if it's a joke or what, but, or if God's just got jokes. It says, get real. And if you know, last week, if you were here, our sermon series is called Be Real. And so um, I want to get real for a moment here with you all and ask if anybody here did something, or let's do it like this. Uh, if anybody here received a gift on Valentine's Day from their loved one. Anybody um, received something from their loved one? And then I want to ask you to be super brave. Is there anybody that's willing to share with all of us? Just come up here for a minute. I have a gift for you if you do. If you're willing to share. Anybody willing? Pam, come on up, Pam. Give it up for Pam. These are Albertson's finest, by the way. Yes, they are. Um, Pam, is this on, Don? Checkity check. Hello. All right, Pam. So what, what, uh, what, did you, what did you get? What happened? I have a friend, a very dear friend, in fact, the love of my life, who lives in Sacramento. And he came down to visit. And um, we opened the day with scripture and prayer. And that was probably the greatest gift he could give me. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah, and then I made him do some work around the house. Okay. <laughs> That's he great. With a smile on his face. Yes, perfect. Okay, so I'm going to give you these, and now I'm going to ask you a, a question or two, okay? Um, so he drove, how many miles is that from Sacramento? 300 and some one way. Okay, cool. So he remembered it was Valentine's Day? Yeah. Okay. So, by the way, for those of us that forgot, we usually make the case that this is just a ha- yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we make the case this is just a hallmark thing to sell more chocolate and flowers. You know what I mean? But really, the truth is we forgot. Anybody in that camp with me? You don't want to admit it. Okay, thanks, Bill. Me and Bill, man, we just forgot. It's not Janet. He. D- it's not because he doesn't love you. He does, but we just. She forgot to. All right, perfect. Even better. So now imagine that your friend who drove 300 miles and um, brought you this gift of reading scripture. Imagine he did that, but the smile wasn't there. Okay? So imagine he came and he came to you and said, sorry, I'm in the, I got to be in the light. Pam, I'm here. It's Valentine's Day. What do you want me to do around the house? Um, how would that have felt to you? Not as good as if he'd had a smile on his face. Oh, perfect. Excellent. Thank you so much. That's the answer I was looking for. Great. Thank you, Pam. Give it up for Pam. No, no, take them. I got those for second service too, so. Yeah, right? I mean, we, we do this all the time. Um, in our relationships, and I, maybe it's just me that does this all the time. Yeah, I'll, I'll do this. I'll work in the yard. Yeah, I'll clean the car. Yeah, I'll wake up with the kid. Whatever, right? Um, so, thankfully, Pam's friend had a smile on his face uh, when he offered this act of love, right? Here's the point. It's possible 
to do the right thing. It's possible to do the right thing with the wrong attitude and so be wrong. It's possible to do the right thing and actually be wrong. It's possible to drive 300 miles from Sacramento and show up at the door and say, what do you want me to do around the house? And then go and do all of that stuff around the house. Do the yard work. Clean the, you know, take the trash out. Wash the dog. And say, there. I'm going back. He did the right thing. And yet, it can feel so wrong. It can just be like a total miss. And so it's possible for you and I to do the right things, to do good things, and yet be completely out of sync. For there to be a disintegration between our action and our attitude, between what we do and what's in here. Amen? You ever had this? You ever done this? You're engaged in activity that may be good, and yet you feel completely empty and lifeless, and like you'd rather be doing a million other things. And you let the world know. Coop, dad ever ask you to do anything around the house? Sometimes, Sometimes maybe a little bit. And um, are you usually like, Father, whatever you need, I'm here for your service. <laughs> no, right? Fine. I know you don't do that, Coop. That's just my kids. It's possible for us to to live in this way and there's like a disintegration between what we're doing. We're doing something good and maybe that's even a religious thing. We're serving those in need. We're, We're volunteering somewhere. Maybe for you it's a work. You have a really important job. You're like, you know, you're, you're a mechanic and you help people when they are in dire straits. Their car is broken and you're like the savior in that moment because you know how to fix a car or put a new, a new window or a new door and, or you know how to sell, uh, you know, a, equipment and to somebody who needs the equipment to dig the hole, right? I mean, Thomas, right? But you, it's possible to do these good things, to, to do things that ought to be a blessing in a way that's completely just wrong. Matthew twenty three fifteen. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's got a group of, of people who are religious leaders. The Jewish historian Josephus, who is also a Pharisee, he says there's at that time about 6,000 of these religious leaders. Okay, there's about uh, 6,000 of these Pharisees and teachers of the law. And so this is what Jesus says to them. We're, we're looking at these seven woes in Matthew 23. And he says this to them. Woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice the son of hell as you are. Amen. Have a great morning. Enjoy that text. 
let it rest in your heart for the rest of the week. I like what the Young Life people said, that Jesus is sassy and direct, right? My daughter has a second grader in her class who I just adore. She, and I tell her all the time, her name is Sarah, and I say, Sarah, you're so sassy. And she goes, no, I am not. I go, exactly. Exactly. Jesus is, is engaged in this dialogue with the, the Pharisees. I want to kind of lay, set the stage here for you a little bit. Because when we read it, he just seems really mean. Like, why are you being so mean, Jesus? Why are you being so hard on these guys, right? And this is part of kind of what the, the uh, dialogue of the day is like. All right? Think about our current political scene. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, similar to that, right? We sharing, uh, we're sharing ideas, and we're trying to, to encourage and spur on each other and find the best things and find the truest things. And so Jesus is engaged in this dialogue with the Pharisees. He's actually, though, talking, if you look at Matthew 23, verse 1, who's he talking to is the crowd and also his disciples. So he's trying to teach them about how to live in right relationship with God, how to be real with God. And so he says, you know, these, these Pharisees, these, these people, they travel over land and sea. They're, they're using a ton of their time and their talent and their treasure to go about this business of making converts. But here's the interesting thing. There's no direct command in the scripture. There's no direct command prior to the time of Jesus in, 20, in Matthew 28 to go out and proselytize or make converts. There's no command. Judaism at that time was not like an evangelistic religion. And so what Jesus is trying to say is you're going beyond what God has called you to do, first of all. And you're doing it in such a way, in Matthew 23, verse 5, where your primary concern is only to be seen by men. Matthew 23, 5. He says, everything they do they do so that they will be seen by other people. So other people will see what they're doing and go, wow, look at their, like, look at their holiness. Look at, look at the, the things that they're doing, the good things that they're doing. They travel over land and sea. This is a very visible activity. It's a very visible thing that they're doing. And it's possible to invest our time and talent and treasure doing the right things, but have the wrong attitude. And in that, to essentially be out of sync, not be keeping it real. It's possible to invest and, 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 and do a lot and yet be completely out of sync with what God is doing. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, He says this. He says, you can speak in the tongues of angels. You can make prophecies that give people like life. You can speak words that are true that change lives. You can have a faith that moves a mountain. You can can give everything you have to the poor. Surrender your life, he says, to the flames. 
But if your attitude is, is wrong, if it's out of sync, if, if, it, if it doesn't match those things, you gain nothing. You profit nothing. You're no good. You're doing actually no good. If the heart isn't in sync with the action, if the attitude doesn't match the activity, something is seriously wrong. You see, it's possible for us to suffer as martyrs for Christ and yet not know anything about the transformational love of Christ. It's possible to die, he says, the last thing. It's possible to give your life in the flames, to die a martyr's death, and yet know nothing about the transformational love of Christ. Isn't this what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7? He says, people are going to come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, in your name, we prophesied. In your name, we went out. In your name, we went out. And what does Jesus say? I never knew you. I didn't know you. We, we weren't living in relationship with each other. You were doing those things. You, you were going about, running around. But we, we weren't living in like relationship with one another. Um, it's interesting. I want to come back to something that he said. Uh, Jesus talks about the Pharisees and he says, you are twice the sons of, or, or you're making disciples that are twice the son of hell as you are. What he's saying is you're sowing a seed and that seed is growing in your disciples, in your students. And that thing is like twice as bad as what you are. Real quick, the word for hell is this Greek word, Gehenna. Anybody ever heard the word Gehenna before? Okay. So Gehenna is like, it's an actual place. Gehenna is Greek, and yet in Hebrew, um, there's a place called the Hinnom Valley. It's like to the southwest of Jerusalem, the southwest of the city. It's, It's outside the gated portion of Jerusalem. And this Hinnom Valley has a lot of like historical um, importance to the Jewish people. The Hinnom Valley uh, in 2 Chronicles, I, I forget where, 2 Chronicles, I think it's 38, um, is a place where King Ahaz uh, participated in child sacrifice. King Ahaz was hundreds of years earlier one of the kings of Israel, and he participated in sacrificing his own children probably children that he had had with um, sort of pagan wives. He sacrificed them to this god Molech, okay? So um, that's happening in this Hinnom Valley. It's a place uh, associated with idolatry. Manasseh, Ahaz's grandson, um, did the same thing. And so it wasn't until King Josiah, who was like the good king, um, he came in and kind of cleaned up the valley and said, no, we're not, we're not doing that idolatry here anymore. But this is a place biblically that's associated with idolatry, child sacrifice. In the time of Jesus, it was kind of like the town dump and refuse. And so what Jesus is saying to these guys is it's possible for you to do the right things. But if you do them in the wrong spirit with the wrong heart, you're more of a wasteland. You're more Gehenna then you are the oasis that I've called you to be to the world. If you, your attitude, 
if your heart isn't in line with the things you're doing. It's like you're more uh, a wasteland than you are a blessing to the world. Those are challenging, challenging words. So how how do we know, right? Like I look at this and go, man, um, I'll be honest. As as somebody called to stand in front of people and, and have like a religious posture, these are these are hard words, right? This is, he's talking to the preacher here at some level. Anybody ever hard on preachers? Yeah. <laughs> so is Jesus. And he's saying, listen, um, you, you who stand up in front of people and kind of call them to things, what about your heart? Where's your heart at? Where's your heart at? Are you surrendered to me? Are you submitted to me? Are you in love with me? Are you being changed by my love? And I'll, I'll, I'll be really honest with you. I'll keep it real. I had a little bit of a, not a crisis, but this week, um, some reflection that made me kind of stop and go, man, I so often want to see change. Um, I so often want to see things happen. I so want to do like the right thing that sometimes my heart is like behind Right? I so often like call things into um, change and I'm like, I get ahead and my heart can be behind. I can be like what Paul says, you know, making great dreams and plans for the future and yet lack love. I hear it um, sometimes in the phrase when people say, I gotta, I gotta do this. You ever use this phrase in your life? I gotta go help these people right now. I gotta go do this job or that job. I gotta go to church. I gotta go meet with my friends. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. And the language of I gotta is rooted in us being victims of our lives. We've become victims of this religious system potentially or victims of whatever thing we've kind of given ourselves to. When we say, I gotta, I, I gotta drive to Redlands from Sacramento to give my friend and the love of my life, you know, a, um, time. I gotta do it. Can you imagine if um, Pam's friend would have used that language? Hey, I knew I just gotta be here, so here I am. It's, it's this language that reveals that it's sort of the core of us we're motivated not by love, but by this wrongful sense of obligation. Ultimately, I think it reveals like a life of despair, a life that's kind of running away, that we're just like being, you know, hounded by, that, that, that's out of control, that's not one of, of a hopeful future, but one of like deep despair. When we use language, I got it. Now, I to- totally understand um, and I actually like was thinking about it last night when um, I heard Simeon, the cute little chubby baby, um, when he was crying late in the night, and I was like, "Man, I gotta go put his pacifier in." There was not even a little bit of me that thought that would be fun or like felt privileged to be doing that. <laughs> not even a little bit of me thought, "Well, this would be great. I can't wait." Right, Garrett? I don't know what your worst class is on Monday morning. But there's probably not a little bit of you that's like, I'm so glad that I get to go to, what's your worst class? Maybe don't say that. (laughs) Trig? 
Trigonometry. I don't even know what that means, right? <laughs> Trigonometry, right? But so it's like, man, there's not even a little part of me that thinks that will be, that's a privilege. I'm privileged. I get to take trigonometry. But here's the reality, I think, that you and I, uh, the more we move into this, this language of I get to, I get to, the more we are in line and our hearts become in tune with our activity, the more there's integration between what's inside and what's outside. When you and I see all of life as a gift, the word grace in the Bible that we celebrate just means gift. It's the Greek word charis. It just means gift. All of life is grace. It's all gift. And I get to. What if we started using this language? I get to. I get to hang out with high schoolers on Monday night and Wednesday night. Right, Mario? I get to. I get to wake up early, you know, with Noah. Feed him. Nobody else gets to do that, Aaron. You know what I mean? Nobody else, just, just you. I'm going to try to use this at night. I get to climb up two flights of stairs that creak and hope I don't wake up other kids to go put a pacifier in and pray that it works. I get to do that. What do you get to do? Do you feel the shift? Just practice it. Think of something that you get to do today or tomorrow morning. You get to wake up early. (laughs) The alarm goes off. I got to get out of bed. What if you said, I get to get out of bed? I met with somebody last week. She was in the hospital. And I said, what are you learning Laying in this bed, she's lost a ton of weight. Turned out she has um, a disease, an intestinal disease. What are you learning? She goes, I never realized what a privilege it was to get out of bed in the morning. Like put my feet on the ground and move. It's such a huge privilege. And I was like, really? I hate getting out of bed. But she said, I get to get out of bed. This, this week, I got a text from somebody who um, got a new job a couple uh, weeks ago, and his new job requires him to drive. And I think I've said publicly before that like, the extent of my driving is like three miles, and I just don't like to get on the freeway. I like to be local. I like to just stick around here. And you know, I, I don't like being in the car and on traffic, and it makes me a bad person. Um, and this person said, I, I, get to, I get to take about 40 minutes on the way there, and 40 minutes on the way back. And, uh, and it's great for me. And I get to sort of just listen to the radio. I listen to podcasts. Sometimes I pray. I try to unpack what happened in the course of my day. And then when I get home, I'm, I'm prepared for you know whoever and whatever runs through that front door, whatever I'm going to be confronted with. I, I get to spend that time by myself, in prayer and reflection. My wife, as part of um, the group that Scott mentioned last week, called the Moms Connection. They meet on Wednesday nights uh, at Legacy Nights. And they're doing a study right now of a book called 1,000 Gifts by a lady named Ann Voskamp. And I want to encourage you uh, if you haven't read that, maybe give that a read if you like to read. 
Um, I cried the first uh, three chapters. Um, I'm also a big crier and cry in things like How to Train a Dragon. But in this book, uh, A Thousand Gifts by Ann Voskamp, she really calls your attention and our attention to just seeing life as grace and a gift. And so part of the discipline that Julie and her, uh, the, the, the moms in that are doing is they took a note, they're taking a notebook and they're just writing everyday gifts. And I asked Julie if I could share this. And, you know, some days it's like, uh, today there was like one thing that I see as a gift. And some days it was like, there were like 15 things that I see as a gift. So my challenge and encouragement to us as a community, what, what would it look like if we, as a congregation, until Easter, just try, tried to get to a thousand gifts? I, I think that's about 30 a day. Maybe that's ambitious. Maybe just try a hundred I started last night. I got a jump start. I came up with 17. Just real quick. It took me five minutes in a notebook. So on the way home today, drop by the store. Pick up a notebook. Three bucks. Or if that's too much for you and you want to kind of go like the Dutch way, hit up the recycle bin on your way out of here. Grab some paper, fold it in half, put a staple in it. Boom. Automatic notebook. Start, start, collecting, start collecting those gifts. Maybe you do this already. I'd love to hear about it. As we start to, to see our life as a gift, those things, those activities that we're a part of, um, there, there becomes this alignment, this shift happens in us. When we go, I don't gotta, I get to. This change happens in us. God didn't say, I gotta send my son to go redeem those people. He said, I get to show them just how much I love them. I get to show them just how far I'm willing to go for them. I get to reveal something that's so awesome and wonderful and so profound and so deep and so transformational. Man, if they hear it, it's going to change them. It's going to change them from the inside out. People of the river, may you experience this deep and transformational love from the inside out as daily you count those gifts. Amen. Let's pray. We want to be an oasis. We want to be a source of life. And we know that only happens when we live in, in relationship with you. When we live in sync with what you're doing in us and through us and around us. God, we thank you and bless you for the things you're doing in the world. Thanks for the invitation to join you in them. We pray that uh, you would continue to stir in us just that, that loving presence. God, forgive me for times when I have um, acted in my own strength or, or out of a sense of obligation. When I said, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, instead of um, living out of a place of, I get to. Thanks for your, the gift of your son, which just reveals to us just how far you will go to have a relationship with us. We love you. And we celebrate you this morning. Amen.